speaking to you about this when it comes to giving financially really the the issue is not our giving financial the issue is the fact that we all have a tendency not to be generous with all of our lives finances are just a subset of it and in some ways because finances are very tangible those numbers are what they are they end up being a great barometer for generosity overall Financial generosity is just one way you can give of yourself, but it's an accurate depiction of where your heart is. Today, Pastor Daniel will be challenging you to take a closer look at how generous you are with your life, and especially your money. It's easy to let wealth rule your actions, even when you don't intend it. Holding too tightly to your financial status is dangerous, though. God asks all his followers to trust him in all things, even your money. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Esther chapter 5 as he continues his message, The Banquet. Brothers and sisters, we find favor with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords by believing in Jesus and walking in the Spirit. And because we believe in Jesus, we walk in the Spirit. Listen to Psalm chapter 90, verse 17. It says, and let the beauty, some translations say, favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the way we live. That's what happens if you put your faith and trust in Jesus. God's favor rests upon us, and then God establishes the work of our hands. We need to find favor with the king, and Esther has found favor with the king. He raises his scepter. She goes on in and touches it, and look at what happens next in verse 3. And the king said to her, what do you wish, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given to you up to half of the kingdom. And so Esther answered, If it pleases the king, let the king and Haman come today to the banquet that I have prepared for him. And the king said, bring Haman quickly that he may do as Esther has said. So the king and Haman went to the banquet that Esther has prepared. And at the banquet of wine, the king said to Esther, what is your petition? It shall be granted you. What is your request? Up to half the kingdom, it shall be done. Then Esther answered and said, my petition and request is this. If I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and fulfill my request, then let the king and Haman come to the banquet which I shall prepare for them, and tomorrow I will do as the king has said. Now, it's interesting because Esther really has one question, but she takes a completely different route, doesn't she? She goes on in, the king's happy to see her. what's What's your request? Now, you notice he keeps saying, I'll give you up to half my kingdom. You've read that in the Bible before. That was a culture of way of saying, I'll be really generous with you. He's not really going to give him half the kingdom, right? But it was, you know, it's one of those things like, how many times have you ever heard someone say, hey, anything you need? Are they really going to give you anything you need? 
Can you imagine you'd be like, hey, anything you need. Yeah, can I have the keys to your car in the title? You'd be like, well, hey, I didn't mean that, right? See, up to half my kingdom was a kingly way of saying I'm really generous, but you'll notice nobody ever asked for half the kingdom. Because everybody knows it's, a, it's an idea. It's like, well, what can I give you? And she says, you know what? I want to prepare a banquet for you and Haman. Can you guys come today? And he's like, great, go get Haman right away. We're going to Queen Eve. And then they're at this banquet, and they're feasting together, and it's the course of wine, which was a part of this way they did royal banquets. And then she's like, okay, he's like, okay, Queen Esther, what do you want? I'll give you anything you want. It will be done for you. And she's like, you know what? Can we do another banquet tomorrow? Now, that's kind of like a mama for you, right? Like, I'm going to feed you. Can I feed you more tomorrow? That's my family. My grandma, food was a love language, man. It was amazing. You go to my grandma's house, she'll cook for you, and you'll be stuffed to the gills, like, right? And then no, she was like, are you still hungry? You want some pizza? I'll make you pizza. And you know what you do when grandma wants to give you pizza, right? You say, amen in Jesus' name. My dad tells this story the first time he met my mom's grandma, who I never, I don't remember. She was, she passed away when I was really young. My, my great-grandma but he tells a story that as a good Italian boy from Brooklyn, he went to meet Nana, you know, and sure enough, she was feeding him. He said that he ate so much that when he left, he drove down the block and he threw up out the car. He was so full. But he knew if he wanted to marry Christina Cappadona, who was my mom, he needed to eat everything that was put in front of him and ask for seconds. My mom's family loves my dad. He still tells that story, man. It, I had to throw, I, it was horrible. The food was so good. I was so sick. But Esther realizes that timing was important. She's not rushing ahead. She's not striving. She's trusting. And what we learn from Esther here is that we, you and I, need to be an extravagant giver. Esther is an extravagant giver here. She doesn't just ask for what she wants. She serves. She says, I'm going to, we'll do this banquet. And, and you got to imagine, uh, sure, Esther had help and stuff, but she, her heart is to be a blessing. And then they're there, and it's the king and Haman, and Haman's the enemy of the children of Israel, and she's being an extravagant giver to her enemy as well. Sounds something like what Jesus said, right? Like, bless those who curse you. Love your What? Enemies, when was the last time you invited your enemy over for a good dinner and not give them something that's so bad that they get sick off of it? She's an extravagant, and not just one banquet, but she's like, like they get to the whole banquet. Haman's there, he's being honored, the king is being honored. The king's like, what can you do? She's like, listen, let's just do this again tomorrow. I'm so taken by the reality that God is so generous, and we have a tendency to be so stingy. See, that's why reading the Bible, it's a terrifying thing in some ways. Because you realize that God is extravagant in his giving, not just measured in his giving, but just totally all in giving. I mean, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. God gave he who is most valuable to him, 
to rebels like you and I. And God, because of God's radical, extravagant generosity, God wants us to learn how to be radically extravagant in generosity. And you notice, Esther's not giving money. I mean, Haman was a wealthy man. Obviously, the king was very wealthy. But she's giving blessing. And I think for you and I, we need to ask God to help us say, God, make me a blessing. Let me remember that my time is not my own. My life is not my own. My giftings, I didn't create the gifts. I didn't give myself the heartbeat and the breath in the lungs to be able to, to learn how to do this stuff. I remember when I learned this as a musician because I thought I was a musician. I'm like, no, no, no. I didn't create music. I didn't create my ears. I didn't even create the desire to practice. Like that was from somewhere else. And my problem was I thought it was mine and it wasn't. And I made it an idol. And our culture, 21st century American culture, is so blessed, but yet we are not a blessing with our blessing. We're hoarders. Now, I'm not saying don't plan. I'm not saying that. But we have to say, God, if being a Christian means I'm like Jesus, and Jesus would give his life, then, Lord, what am I not willing to give and why? And if we ask those questions, God starts to unpack idols in our hearts, things that we really worship, things like security, not a bad thing, but definitely not something to be worshipped, not to run your whole life around. See, Esther is an extra, like, she could very easily be like, listen, they're going to kill me, you know, there's pressing needs in the life of Esther, but she is an extravagant giver. And this reminds me, of course, Second. Corinthians 9, 6 and 7. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, but God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. See, if you want to have a friend... You need to be a friend. If you want to be loved, you need to give love. See, too many of us think, no, no, I want you to work out this stuff for me. But you're not willing to be what you want to receive. See, look, if you don't sow being a friend, you're not going to have a friend. If you don't sow self-sacrificial love, you're never going to get it back. See, whatever it is that, whatever you plant, that's what blossoms. Too many of us think if I plant something else, I'm going to get something else. And nature teaches us it's not that way. See, I really believe, and God's been really speaking to me about this, when it comes to giving financially, really the, the issue is not our giving financial. The issue is the fact that we all have a tendency not to be generous with all of our lives. Finances are just a subset of it. And in some ways, because finances are very tangible, those numbers are what they are, they end up being a great barometer for generosity overall. See, God, Jesus gave his whole life for the blessing of others and for the glory of God. And if we follow Jesus, we have to say, God, teach me how to give it all. Teach me how to hold it all 
as it's truly yours because guess what, Lord? It's truly yours. This life is yours. The checkbook is yours. The calendar is yours. It's all yours. And we let the Lord make us extravagant the way he is. Esther's, she's like, look, let me serve you guys. And then could we come back tomorrow and serve you? What a great testimony. And, and listen, most moms, it's part of being a mom in some ways. Now, I realize that you moms, I'm not going to speak for you, but it's not always easy to be a giver, right? It's not always easy. But moms, learn, you, you're forced into it in some ways, aren't you? But praise God, because oftentimes God forces us into the growth that we need. Amen? God makes us have to do it. We have to be obedient because it dictates it. Like we just had a little Annabelle, our little sweetie. She, she wasn't feeling so good for a couple days. And, you know, we've never, Lynn and I have never really had a colicky baby. But Annabelle was real mushy. You know, and I, and I watched Lynn hold her for like two days straight. And it's like, and there were times when she was just looking at me like, and like the only place Annabelle was happy was in mama's arms. Dad had, I had no game at that point. Annabelle likes me a bunch. But I had, I couldn't help. And I watched my bride and I thought to myself, man, wow. And so many moms feel that way, right? You just, you're giving it all for your kids. For those of you who got dragged here to church today by your mom, all she wants is for you to know the God who created you and sustains you. That's all she wants. She loves you that much. She won't give up on it, even though you've told her a million times you don't believe. She's still hoping, I want my son, my daughter, my husband, my niece, my nephew. I just want them to see themselves for who they really are. That's all they want extravagant giver. Now, look at what happens. Now, think about this. Because now the, it moves to Haman, the scoundrel, the antagonist, the bad guy in the story. Notice what happens in verse 9. It says, so Haman went out that day, joyful and with a glad heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate and that he did not stand or tremble before him, he was filled with indignation against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home and he sent and called for his friends and for his wife, Zeresh. Haman was just blessed. He was hanging out with the king and the queen, the only two people at this banquet. And he is happy. Now, don't miss the fact that they just had the course of wine. So he had drank enough. He was in good spirits. We find that in chapter 1, King Ahasuerus was, uh, spent too much time lingering around the open bar. And now you have Haman, the same thing. He leaves. He's happy. He's blessed. He's honored. He was at a banquet with the queen and king, just him. Not like a state dinner, just them. But then he goes on out, and he sees Mordecai in the king's gate. And Mordecai does not stand to honor him. He doesn't tremble at his presence. And we find out that Haman is filled with indignation. He's torqued. He's ticked off. He's mad. But notice it says, nevertheless, he restrained himself. And he went home, and he sent he called for his wife and his friends. Now, You think, wow, he restrained himself. Why did he restrain himself? He already has the death sentence against Mordecai. 
He's like, look, I need to calm down because he's going to get his just a few months. But what do we learn here? And this is important for all of us. Brothers and sisters, we need to watch our hearts. You need to watch your heart. Watch your heart. Haman is blessed. He is honored. He just came back from a banquet with just the king at the request of his queen. But one guy is eating his lunch, so to speak. He can go from happy and joyful to absolutely over-the-top angry because of one thing. Brothers and sisters, you got to ask yourself, what eats your lunch? What is the thing that flies you off the handle where everything is great and then one thing happens and you lose your beans? Because most of us have it. Where every, everything's good, you're looking on the bright side of life, you're positive, God loves me, and then all of a sudden something happens, and you're, ooh, woe is me! I'm forsaken by God! That was a good voice, wasn't it? <laughs> I never heard that one come out of me before. That's a brand new one. We might need to retire that one. <laughs> But isn't this us, though, where everything's great, but then one thing happens and everything is miserable? Like, it's part of our fallenness. I see it in my own life. Everything can be amazing, and then one, this one certain thing happens. I find out that someone's upset about Crossroads, and I lose my day. I can't believe it. I'm doing a horrible job. I'd be a better garbage man or a mailman or any kind of man other than a pastor man. And the beauty is, is that don't feel sorry for me because I know that you're all like that too in whatever your thing is that gets you going. Whatever that one thing is that eats your lunch. Haman's got Mordecai. What do you have? You need to write down what that thing is. What's the thing that steals my joy? What's the thing that takes me from joyful to angry in a New York minute? What is that thing? And you need to guard that thing. It reminds me of Proverbs 4.23, a life verse for me. It says, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. All of the issues of your life, it's not the circumstances. It's right here, my friends, right in the center of your chest, that control center of your life by which all of the information from outside, from your emotions, from your body, where the Spirit of God dwells, where those decisions are made are in your heart. And we need to watch and keep our hearts because out of it all the issues spring. The anger the fear, all of it springs out from your heart. It's not the circumstances. You have to realize it. The details are just the scenery by which what is in our heart blossoms. So often we think if I change my circumstances, my heart will change. And that's not the case. I don't know how many times I've heard, talked to someone like, man, I just hope that when I get married, it's going to cure my lust problem. Doesn't work that way. If we, just have, if we just get married, it will cure our relationship problems. It doesn't work that way. If we just have kids, our marriage will, will be better. <laughs> if I just had a little more money, it will cure my materialism problem. Listen, the issue is in our hearts, and we need to learn how to watch our hearts and to keep our hearts and know what makes us tick and what ticks us off. Because the things that take us off are the things that derail the life that God wants to bless us with. 
Haman is driving with the pedal to the metal towards destruction, all because his ego is so fragile that he can go. He was just honored by the queen, and he runs into one guy who doesn't give him what he thinks is his due, and he's running straight for destruction. And it's real easy to look at it from a passive way and look at the Bible and say, oh, yeah, man, just a bummer about Haman. You know, it's... But if we're self-reflected, we realize we all got this stuff. We all got those things that eat our lunch. And brother, sister, watch your heart. If you, if you do not keep your heart with all diligence, there's going to be all sorts of stuff that's going to spring up in there. Stuff that you never imagined that you would contemplate doing or are doing. But it's there. Your heart is a garden and you need to take care of it, my friends. If you don't, you will get garbage. Keep it. Watch it. Haman is not self-regulating. That would be a proper psychological term for it. He's not self-regulating. He's not acknowledging what he's doing, and it's going to destroy him. So what does he do? He's mad. He calls for his wife and his friends. Look at what happens. In verse 11, Then Haman told them of his great riches and the multitude of his children, everything in which the king had promoted him and how he had advanced him above the officials and servants of the king. Moreover, Haman said, besides Queen Esther invited me, no one but me, to come in with the king to the banquet that she prepared. And tomorrow I am again invited by her along with the king. Yet all this avails me nothing so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. Then his wife Zeresh And all the friends said to him, let gallows be made 50 cubits high. And in the morning, suggest to the king that Mordecai be hanged on it. Then go merrily with the king to the banquet. And the thing pleased Haman. So he had the gallows made. So he's angry. He's like, I'm going to invite my friends over. And Haman, in his anger, in his fleshliness, begins to be what we affectionately call a blowhard. I'm so wealthy. And I'm so honored. And I got to have a banquet with just the king and the queen. I am the man. That's what he does. He starts boasting about his wealth and his connections. It's like his LinkedIn profile right there. I'm so connected. (laughs) But notice, he says, but all my blessings mean nothing to me. Because of that man, Mordecai. Jesus is real. Hamon could have let the good mood of the party carry him through a little longer. He could have ignored Mordecai on his journey home, and he could have let the anger and pride that arose fade away. Hamon did not make this choice, though. Pastor Daniel described today how destructive these insecurities became for him. Haman continued to make deadly decisions, ones that would soon have unforeseen consequences. Hey everybody, this is Pastor Daniel Fusco from Jesus is Real Radio. I'm so excited about what Jesus is doing through this ministry to change lives and restore his people. Would you consider partnering with us as we continue to share the message of Jesus here on Jesus is Real Radio? You can find out more and donate securely online at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Thank you for prayerfully considering this. I just want to say thank you for tuning in. 
I'm so stoked you're a listener of Jesus is Real Radio, and I know Jesus has amazing plans for you. I'd love to hear the story of how God's working in your life. Give us a call here at Jesus is Real Radio at 360-256-4655 or email me at real at danielfusco.com. Next time on Jesus is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will tell you what happens next in the exciting story of Esther. The king and Haman have attended a meal that Esther had prepared for them, but she still had yet to reveal her true purpose to either of them. Before she can, the king is made aware of a debt he has. The king had never properly thanked Mordecai for saving his life and will decide to repay his kindness in an extravagant way. There's more to come from Pastor Daniel's series for such a time. Please glance at the clock right now and make plans to join us again for another edition of Jesus is Real Radio.